0: I recently wrote a LinkedIn recommendation for a friend and her response was, that is a great recommendation, thank you. Is there anything you're not good at? Smiley face. My response? I generally avoid doing the things I'm not good at, LOL. In reality, we don't always have the luxury of avoiding tasks that we feel ill-equipped to perform successfully. More often than we might like, we're asked to step out of our comfort zones and into the zone of proximal development. That's when you are capable if you get the right support, but are not yet ready to do it all on your own, which is why business coaches need business coaches to keep growing. And it's why so many of us seek out resources to help us improve our leadership and communication skills. Quote, if you could be good at something right away with that effort, what would it be and why? That was an icebreaker question at a recent networking event I attended. I said parenting. Parenting is the hardest thing I've ever done with the least amount of training. It often feels like I'm in that zone of proximal development, and occasionally it feels like we're doing a great job. One thing I know though, my four and six year old need to know they are loved. Every night for the last two weeks, my wife and I wrote something we loved about each of our kids on a paper heart and taped it to their bathroom mirror. Each morning, we would read the new hearts to them and review their favorites. Your challenge for this week, is self-improvement part of your 2022 goals? Me too. Start by making a list of 14 things you love about yourself. Then you'll be much more open to growing out of your comfort zone. And to help you do that, I highly recommend heading over to the Epic Leadership Resource Giveaway, over 20 resources are being freely shared by knowledgeable professionals. These are leadership and communication skills that will help in all areas of your life, even parenting. I'm giving away the 90-minute replay of my WBEX Global Coaching Summit presentation, plus a bonus 30-minute replay of another training, which is included in the Big Results Toolkit. You can get access to all these resources at robbiesamuels.com forward slash epic. That's robbiesamuels.com forward slash E-P-I-C. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, before we dive into this week's interview, I want to remind you that as a virtual event design consultant and executive Zoom producer, I can help you get better at Zoom. You could watch my online facilitation training, which is a two-hour video and 33 Zoom tutorial videos, Available at robbysamuels.com forward slash rock, R-O-C-K. Or if you're ready to become a certified virtual event professional, next four-week program is going to begin in April, and you can join the waitlist to be the first to find out when. The waitlist is available at the number 5%advantage.com. That's www.the number 5 percentadvantagecom Or just go to my website, robbysamuels.com. And if you want to stress less and have greater participant engagement at your next virtual event, you can email me to schedule a chat about me producing or hosting your next event. My email is robbie at robbysamuels.com. And last but not least, happy Valentine's Day. One thing I love about you is you listen to my podcast. Thank you. And please share my message with that one person you know who needs to hear it. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest wants you to know that he can relate if you feel queasy about networking and hate to sell yourself. Through study, practice, and lots of trial and error, he has transformed himself into a genuinely good networking professional, a transformation he would like to help all entrepreneurs make. He coaches individuals, trains staff, and presents associations and other groups to develop their skills and systems to build better connections and robust networks. He works with audiences to get past their networking reluctance to establish better relationships and increase bottom line results. He's the author of Hello and a Handshake, the host of the Third Generation Networking Podcast and author of the acclaimed blog, The Reluctant Networker. With his mom and his wife, he is the co-founder of the family business, Third Generation Networking. Please join me in welcoming Greg Peters. Hey, Robbie. Greg, thanks so much for joining us from Ann Arbor, Michigan. As you know, this is a show about building strong networks, and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead?
1: You know, it's kind of funny. I, I always thought of a leader as that guy standing on, the t- on a mountaintop looking off in the distance with the, hair blowing his, uh, or the wind blowing his hair back and a cape on and everything. And I, I kind of realized in recent years, the leader is the guy who sees something that needs to get done and is willing to step up to get it done um, because most people don't. So, and I never saw myself as a leader because again, I always thought it was the guy on the, on the mountaintop. Um, it wasn't until recently, ironically, during COVID, I was uh, texting back and forth with a buddy of mine and he, uh, he and I knew each other through karate and he commented on how much they appreciated me taking on a leadership role at the school. And it flummoxed me because I, I didn't think of myself as a leader. And he said, no, really, you're kidding me. No, really. you, you Because you're always willing to step up and, and do what needs to get done.
0: I, I really appreciate this definition. And I've recently been saying that if you want people to like you, only say yes to the things you want to do and do them quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, right? Like the people are like, wow, what a leader. You're amazing, Craig. Because, you know, you, you step in and you, you do stuff. I like this like the leader doesn't have to be that person that I love that sort of distance almost like your first description they're almost removed from the situation right they're looking they're looking down upon the situation as a leader but you're realizing now the leader is person can come rolls up their sleeve to get the thing done that needs to get done in that moment
1: and, yeah. and, and, and yes that still means you need to be able to delegate and all that that sort of thing but but really if, if you're not in there and you're not invested in whatever you're trying to achieve, you're, you're never going to be an adequate leader.
0: Yeah. So when did you start to realize you had some of these skills?
1: Uh, in retrospect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> looking back, uh, I was the uh, president of the Michigan chapter of the national speakers association. And uh, I remember being at our opening retreat uh, for, for me and my board. And we've been having a problem keeping membership going, uh, keeping attendance going and, and, and uh, getting people to keep coming back year after year. And I was getting concerned about that because, you know, when membership starts to drop off, people stop going because there's no one there to go see anyway. So I said, all right, listen, here's the situation. You know, I, I I saw a list of speakers just recently and of them only I was uh, in our chapter. Uh, And I think that's a dangerous thing. So here's what we're going to do this year. We've always talked about increasing our membership by 10%. No, that's not enough. We are going to do it double. We're going to double our membership. We're going to double our attendance. And it got real quiet in the room. But the funny thing was everybody kind of got excited about it because it was something they had to start thinking a new way of thinking because 10% change, you can just do more or whatever you're doing, but double it. You got to do new things. And as a result of of just kind of setting that goal for us all, um, it was remarkable. We had a, a, just a remarkable year. I had a I had a great board who really stood behind me. That's that was the big thing.
0: I love this example of pushing people to like you know do the moonshot, right? Like everyone has to really buckle down and and think innovatively and put extra effort in and and be clear-eyed about what their goals are and why they're doing them. I'm i I think it's this, it's interesting that you became. Um. You just, first of all, you joined the board, and then you eventually became the president of an organization, and you still didn't have the idea of leader in your head.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, like I said, in <laughs> retrospect, <laughs>
0: right? I'm like, um. All right. So, what were you like on the playground? Oh, let's just roll this all the way back, Greg. Let's talk about you know what, what was what was school like? Did you run for office? Did you? Uh, did you organize kids or were you really kind of the quiet, the quiet kid who like, just, just did your job and you know, did your, did your homework and kind of focused on that?
1: You know, I, well, I mean, I, I, I never went for any of those office things. That just didn't, didn't feel like something I wanted to do. Uh, I was, I always sat at the nerd table in high school, all the, all the kids who liked science fiction and computers and, and all the, you know, all that kind of stuff. That was, those were my people, um, But I can remember earlier, you know, back in my, my grade school years, I was the one who always let's, Hey, let's go out and play some baseball. Let's go out and do this. And, you know, we, we do the make-believe much as I see my children doing now (laughs) in some ways. I think kids are almost natural leaders. They just want to, you know, let's, let's go out and explore. Let's do fun things.
0: That's really awesome. I think that, um, kids have opportunities to do that all the time that maybe we don't as adults, like it's, it's freeing to do that. It is so. I want to know what you thought you were going to be doing next. Um, you know, and particularly when you're thinking back to your life as a primary school and high school, you probably had some idea who you were. Um, and actually, particularly, I was wondering before we talk about like what comes next. Did anyone see opportunities in you? Like, did anyone give you like a sense? Oh, you know, Greg should step up and do this. Like, were you already the person who was seeking opportunities, or did you did that happen sort of later in life as you kind of saw? Yourself in a different light.
1: I I think it happened later in life uh, for me. Um, as far as I know, I'm I was largely oblivious of the world around me. I think when I was growing up, so I, I was sort of okay. It's first day of school. Okay, <laughs> that's that's cool. I, I don't okay. I'm gonna. My, my mom sent me on an airplane when I was four and a half years old to Connecticut to see my grandmother, and for me, it was like okay. I, I wasn't overly concerned about it, so. But as far as leadership and, and, and seeing something in me, my mom, actually, I think when I had graduated from college and she, um, she and I had talked about being entrepreneurs because she was an entrepreneur. And I, I said, I was kind of interested in doing that. And she actually bought me my first computer so that I could start doing uh, back at the time it was uh, doing some web development. This was back when the web was brand new. And so it was uh, all exciting. It was, you know, wild west. Um, so it was kind of a, kind of fun to have your mom kind of sit, seeing that you have a direction to go. And here are some of the tools. But she never said, go start your own business. It was here. She knew that these were the things I was going to need. And so she kind of gave me those pieces that I needed and let me find the path myself.
0: So going into a company and, you know, clocking in, doing nine to five wasn't the path that you were sort of set on. Did you do that anyway for a little bit before you did entrepreneurship or did you go right to entrepreneurship?
1: I was I worked at University of Michigan for 18 years as a, as a computer programmer. <laughs> so yep. it, even that though, wasn't a clock in, so to speak, because it was so, you know, it's a university and it's flexible hours. And so you just kind of did it whenever you want to do it. I would work at home, work wherever. So I kind of developed that entrepreneurial mindset of work wherever um, because I was there but uh yeah no that was 18 years of doing that i i started i dovetailed from that into doing my own web development company uh toward the end of that that period but no i was i did not start right out out of college as a as a you know go and you know find your way in the world kind of
0: thing yeah <laughs> you know i just saw my dad the other day and he he always brings this up that he thought you know, I would be really into computers. Like I I had a knack and an aptitude for computers at a very young age. Um, Like I took an adult ed course when I was, I don't even know, like 10 (laughs) and finished the assignment and then went help help other people while my dad was sitting in the room, like watching it all unfold. Um, And so, you know, he was nudging me along. He didn't know what this stuff was either, but he thought this was the future and he was right but I didn't, I didn't do what you did. I didn't end up becoming a, a programmer. Cause I, I really liked people too much. Um, and I didn't want to just sort of sit and and code. And it's funny that in this roundabout way, I have come back to working with computers all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Computer well, just I think still, we
1: all have now it's, it's yeah. all come around again. And the ironic thing was after 20 years, I was, you know, I was a technologist. I knew how to do, I, I, I I built my own computer. I I did, you know, Linux instead of Windows and all that stuff. But then when I started doing speaking full time, I was like, you know, there's really no need for all of that. I should just use off the shelf. I should use Windows and now I discovered that technology is leaving me behind very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so what made you decide you
0: wanted to leave this comfortable, I assume, like, you know, 18 years in a role like you know, I, I stayed in a role for 10 years and I had friends who were, you know, every two years jump jumping ship to another job. And I, and they were like, how do you stay there? I'm like, well, it's really simple. You you don't leave. You just, yeah. <laughs> you just don't leave. I mean, you don't, you don't look and you don't leave. You just, you just keep showing up every day and they keep sending you a paycheck. So <laughs> how I, I do think, how did you make the decision to not, uh, stay there and, and to, to actually go somewhere else?
1: I, I think I was, I was, uh, I enjoyed working there because there was a new project all the time. So there was there was sort of a, a transition into new things. So I wasn't always I didn't feel like I was stagnant by any means. But um, it was two thousand seven, I believe. Uh, excuse me, two thousand nine. I was I was reading a book by T Harv Eker called The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, and in it, I came to this chapter, and it said. Uh, poor people and middle-class people want to be rich. Wealthy people commit to it. And it was in that moment, you know how it is. You have those moments in your life where the, the clouds clear and the hallelujah chorus goes off. So you, you know that you should be paying attention to this. And it, this was uh, November, I think, that I was reading it. And I I realized it was time. I'd been just kind of splitting my time, doing evenings and weekends on my own thing. And, and I, I realized, you know, I was... I was not, uh, neither here nor there. It was time to commit to something. And so I, I after, of course, asking my wife's permission, I, uh, I went in and gave my, my two weeks notice and said, it's time for me to go off and do this and, and prove I can do it one way or the other.
0: And then you'd built up a business on the side. So it wasn't, you, there was no starting from scratch. You had a bit of a,
1: a client base. I, I did have some client base. Yes. Uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't just, um, you know, I I didn't just go, okay, I'm going to throw out my shingle. And I still had no clue what I was doing as an entrepreneur. I was uh, honestly, I was, I was so stupid. So, so ignorant. (laughs) I was, I was ignorance on fire, I believe is the phrase, (laughs) but it it just, I I decided to give it a try. And, you know, yeah, it was hard at first. It was really hard at first.
0: Were some of those challenges uh, when you're first getting things going?
1: Well, uh, one of the first things we ran into uh, at the time, we, we, I just finished a large project. So we had you know plenty of money in the bank. So we were we were in good shape. So I was ready to do that. We didn't have any kids. So there was no, uh, no uh, dependence. Um, about uh, three months after I started, we found out we were pregnant. So <laughs> that was a little more excitement than I was ready for. But you know, you you just have to kind of roll with the punches and deal with it and 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 move on. And of course, I wouldn't want it any other way. You you learn uh, to to hustle a little bit when you have to hustle. Um, you develop your network in a little bit more focused way. Um, you know, whereas, whereas in in some ways it was probably a good thing because my networking was sort of helter skelter, whatever. You know, I would I would go to any any group that I wanted to and. When it came time to really be more focused about it and be able to uh, make sure that I was networking with the right people, well, uh, that was a certain certain amount of impetus behind it. Yeah, um, I
0: actually had a really long runway to building my business because my wife had a job that gave us housing and a meal plan. We were living on a college campus, so there was less urgency. And um, we had our first kid while living there. And I remember talking to Dory Clark and, and Dory said, you just don't you don't have enough, you know, fire in the gut to, to like, cause you, you know, you're, you're building a business, but and you know, so much, but you're not like turning on the, the revenue piece of this. And then I went and had a second kid and things started getting a little like, Oh, you know, one starving child, uh, you know, but two, two, it's too many, you know, and they and expect we went, to
1: be fed like daily.
0: <laughs> yeah. Every day, multiple times. Uh, but yeah, it, you know, I think that, uh, your, your quote earlier about having to commit and make a really, make a decision to wealth and, and just, um, to living big, to living your purpose to living fully is is an active thing that you have to choose over and over and over again. It's not like a thing you just decide one day and like hope for the best. And I think a lot of times people want it to be that, but really the overnight success 10 years in the making is a reason is a reason we have that phrase. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh when did you start to realize that the networking itself was something you could teach? Because you just said, you know, you were not, you were a little helter skelter and you're You know, you have a a blog called the Reluctant Networker. So clearly this wasn't like you were, you know, came out of the womb, super excited to mingle.
1: So when did you realize you had a
0: skill around that, that you could teach others? And in fact,
1: you know, I I was literally, I was, and I joke about this in my speaking engagements. You know, I was a computer programmer with all the social skills that that implies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I did network and I built the business and that was, that was cool. I never really desired to have anybody working for me though. So it was really, it was basically a freelancer uh, business that I, I developed for myself. The challenge was that the networking worked really well and I ended up having more work than I could possibly get done. Um, About two years into this, it was 2009. I was up at three o'clock in the morning trying to get the work done. And I suddenly realized this, this is not what I want my life to be. This is not making me happy. I'm exhausted all the time. I'm burnt out. Uh, I don't want to do this anymore, which, you know, uh, by that point I'd been a computer programmer for 20 years It's part of my identity. And for me to suddenly turn my back on that was really, really hard. Um, And I, ironically, it was the very next day I was, I was meeting with a friend of mine, Cheryl O'Brien from the, uh, the Ann Arbor chamber. And I told her, you know, the, the challenge, and as a good friend, she listened to me whine and complain for a little while, and then she said, "Well, did you ever te- think about teaching other people how you grew your business?" And I thought, "Huh, that's that's something I could think about." And, and my, you know, my mom had been doing this uh, for for many years already. She'd been teaching networking, and so I kind of felt like, "Oh, maybe I maybe I could do this." And so that, that was when the reluctant networker was was born. Um, and a, you know, a year or so later, I. I I ran into the national speakers association and I discovered, Oh, the speaking thing is kind of cool. I like this. (laughs) So I had a topic. I I like being on the platform. And so that's kind of how I ended up there.
0: Now you just said something that I really got to ask about, which is that your mother is someone who teaches networking. So how does it, how is it to be growing up in a house with a parent who teaches networking when you yourself are a little bit reluctant to the topic?
1: she didn't actually start her business teaching networking until I was well out of college. So I, you know, I I wasn't, we were not, uh, but the ironic thing was that once we, once I actually did start doing it, it was kind of fun because family gatherings ended up being me, not only seeing my mom, but me seeing a colleague in the business. And we would talk about, you know, all the challenges we were facing, trying to find clients and the, you know, the, the challenges that they were facing how would you approach this? And, uh, so it was really kind of fun uh, to, to be able to do that. Um, but she, I mean, she didn't really have a whole lot of challenges uh, with regards to being out there, but my grandmother apparently was a very shy person. And that's the whole idea behind third generation networking. She was, my grandmother was the first generation networker and had to force herself to become so. So I think that helped when my mom came around, she was never told, never talked to strangers, uh, because that's what you do when you're networking. You talk to a lot of strangers, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. so uh, it, it was really good, though, to have my mom around when I first started working, at, you know, on my own doing web development. Because she was able to kind of help me get the networking, my networking feet underneath me. I took her class, uh, and and she charged me full price. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I helped teach her class. Uh, for, for a one, one session. Uh, and now we've, we've actually, uh, we combined our businesses and that's how third generation networking was born. So.
0: This is so fun to hear about the evolution of this family business, not, not a traditional family business by any means in the sense of like a, a storefront or something. Um, but one that really is based on the the history of the family and what's been ch- passed down from one generation to another. I, my wife and I have joked that our kids are going to hate spreadsheets because we're so into like you know, spreadsheets and organizing things, <laughs> they're gonna rebel. Like it's gonna be like Alex B. Keaton kind of mind. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna be like, no, no networking, no spreadsheets. <laughs> I'm like, <"Bah>, humbug. <laughs> um, just from just from what they've witnessed. So um, this is fun that you got to combine, uh, you know, your, your powers with your, with your mom and build something bigger than either one of you could have done alone. Mm -hmm. And what are the kinds of clients you work with? Because I'll just share uh, that for a long time, I was trying to sell networking as something other than a talk. And I would run into all these problems because a lot of people tell me they're not good at networking, but I found very few people who wanted to pay to fix that problem. And it took me a long time to figure out business development. Oh, right. The people who want to learn this better, they need help making money. Ah, okay. And seriously, I feel very dense when I say <laughs> out loud how long that took. I mean, it was a few years that I was like, why is this not working? Man, I went through the exact same things. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Because everyone I- talks about it. It's like, I hate networking. Is like a, such a common thing. But if it's not followed by any urgency to change that fact, No one wants to buy anything from you, which is now what I teach, right? I now teach the, the like strategy around the sales piece. That's not just about the networking, but when did you start to figure this out? And like, how did you figure who your audience was? Because I imagine it evolved a bit.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, we actually teach, we have a a 10 week course and like the first, like the first class we're teaching people about, okay, what's your target market. If you don't know what your target market is, your, your networking is going to be relatively ineffective, you know? Um, and when I started out, yeah, I, I picked a target market and I discovered, wow, you know, I, I started out with a higher ed. I thought, you know, students need to have this information. Gosh, I wish someone had told me when I was going through college that I needed to network that, the, you know, the piece of paper you walk out with is only half of what you get out of college, um, which was, was really cool. And, I, and yes, I did speak in front of several uh, uh, colleges, but I discovered that Colleges don't really want to pay for someone to come in from outside. <laughs> so that, that, that didn't end up working out so well. Um, my mom, she focused on real estate agents for a long time. Uh, and then se- 2007, 2008 happened and the real estate market you know, crashed and suddenly her target market went away. Uh, she's focusing now on, uh, on financial planners. Um, and that's kind of who we're trying to bring into our 10-week courses uh, for me, I speak toward associations. So I'm looking for associations which represent uh, people like real estate agents uh, and, and financial planners and uh, uh, insurance uh, uh, salespeople. Because, yeah, as, as you've discovered, you've kind of got, yeah, networking is a very, very uh, holistic thing. I mean, you're, you're, you're connecting with people. And I think you even said it uh, in one of our conversations in the past that almost every problem is a networking problem. You know, whatever challenge you're facing, there's a good chance that the guy at the next table has faced it. And if you just connect with them, you'll, be able, you'll find your solutions. Um, but no one wants to buy that. What they want to buy is how do I get more referrals? So that's how we've kind of focused our, our efforts, uh, especially in the training part of it, is we talk about, you know, we teach you advanced concepts in, in getting referrals. Um, Now, when I speak and even when I'm training, I slip in the other stuff about, well, in addition to referrals, you know, Hey, what if you're looking for a family doctor, you know, wouldn't you rather get that from someone in your network than just, you know, picking it from the web somewhere. I mean, so, so yeah, it's, you kind of have to give them what they, they want and then help them with what they need. (laughs) So,
0: (laughs) yeah, my book titles actually really relates to that because originally my, my newest book, Small List, Big Results, Launch a Successful Offer, No Matter the Size of Your Email List. The subtitle originally was, uh, Leverage Your Network to Grow Your Business. Mm. You and I both know that is actually what people need to do, but people themselves, the intended readers do not know and are not seeking out that solution. So the problem that they think they have or the problem they're trying to solve is the size of their email list. I think that's why they're not able to sell. And so... It is really about, you know, p- pull them in by promising them that you're going to solve the problem that they think they have, and then give them the awareness that it's actually much bigger than that. And here's another solution that you can dive into that I can support you with. So um, even, even with the, even with the, uh, the development, uh, the, the biz dev piece, I realized uh, getting people in through some other means other than even like get referrals, get referrals, get referrals um, it's sort of interesting because like they've heard that message about get referrals before. There's a reason they haven't done it yet. I mean, they, they clearly don't think that they're like, Oh yeah, whatever. That's it's my email list. That's the problem. Like, that's,
1: <laughs> like it's, you know, it's
0: small. And so, uh, or who am I to ask? I can't do JV partnerships because I have a small list. I can't, you know, like oh, they're like have all these, I can't. Um, so I think it's really interesting that you've, you've basically fallen into like a service provider space, the professional services, the uh, insurance and, you know um the financial planner type folks real estate it makes sense they're they're out there all the time looking for new folks to talk to
1: well ironically i i kind of i i've connected really well with those who are like i was that you know they're 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 more technically minded they're very happy in their offices and the idea of going to a chamber lunch is anathema to them. They just, you know, it sends shivers down their spines. They don't know what to do. They don't have the tools. They don't have the process. Um, and as a computer programmer, I'm all about the process. I'm all about the systems. Um, and that was that was kind of how I became more successful at networking as I recognized that, yeah, it's a soft skill, but there are a lot of systems that underlie it. Uh, there are systems about, Who do you approach in a room? How do you approach them? You know, you can look at there, there are clues that will help you be be more successful in connecting with the people in the room. How do you carry on a conversation that's going to be able to play on beyond the conversation? You know, if you just talk about the weather, then what are you going to talk about next time? And this is a common question is okay, we had our first meeting. Do I start selling to them next time? No, stop it. Did you listen to what they needed? Have you found something that you can provide so that you can stay a part of their lives? One
0: of the things I really appreciate what you just shared is that it it shows why there needs to be more than one person teaching on any particular topic, because who you would attract and who I would attract is very different. Even though we may have a lot of similarities on what we're teaching, even our methodologies might be exactly the same, but we're still going to attract people based on our own lived experience. And so certain people are going to feel much more comfortable coming to you because you can relate to them. They can, they can feel that they know that you understand where they're coming from, which is why, you know, don't hesitate. I think anyone's listening in, like you might have a skill that someone else you already know is doing this, but you're going to attract a different audience. There's a lot of people in the world who need your help. Um, Speaking of networking though, let's dive a little more deeply into this. I always like to ask, you know, you have sort of your inner circle of people that you're always going to stay in touch with, but, if you think about the sort of the second and third layers out, these are people maybe you see once a year at a conference or you work with five years ago, more than anything, these are people you like, <laughs> you enjoy enjoyed their company. <laughs> yeah. And so you want to stay in touch in some way. So what are your habits, philosophies, or practices around nurturing and sustaining the sort of larger network that you exist in?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that is a very difficult thing because it's time consuming. Uh, Any relationships you have are going to take time and you have to be willing to expend that. And so, yeah, when you have uh, someone who's just an acquaintance, then it may be four or five years before you reconnect with them. And that's one of the things I, I talk about is reconnect with people on a regular basis. You know, go and go and look in your LinkedIn connections. I mean, most people have hundreds if not thousands of connections on LinkedIn, and I'd be willing to bet they probably don't stay in contact with more than 50 of them. So go and look and, and use that as an excuse to reach out to them. Hey, Bob, you know, I, I was just going through my LinkedIn connections and I, I saw your name and I realized we haven't talked in four years. And I just want to know what's going on with you. Hey, you know, it's, it's been a while. Why not reach out to them? And a lot of people will go, Ah oh, man, I, I, I feel really uncomfortable doing that. Why? They didn't reach out to you. <laughs> you're actually taking the load off their shoulders, and no one, no one minds being remembered. You know, you're you're actually doing them, you're doing them a favor, and you're paying them a compliment by taking the time just to reach out to them, even if it's, it's been years. Now, yeah, if you're going to reach out to them and say, "Hey, Bob, you seem to have something that I want, so here's what you can do," yeah, don't do that. Um, but, you know, if you're just trying to reconnect, why not? Why not do it? And, and, and uh, you never know where those can lead.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's so much better than what most people do, which is they wait till they do need something. And then you get that LinkedIn message with someone you haven't talked to in eight years and they attach their CV and they're telling you they're looking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're like, I, I literally have not talked to you in eight years. What? Um, oh,
1: ironically, my mom and I just recorded a, a podcast episode about this very thing: is how do you reach out to people you haven't talked to in a while when you do need something? Yeah. And the best, the best advice we have is be upfront about it. Don't, don't do the sneaky, you know, oh, hey, just checking in type thing, Bob. You know, I know it's been a while. Here's the thing: I, I really could use some help on something. Would you be willing to help me out? I mean, don't, don't be, don't be coy about it. Just come out I and like say it. you need help. Now, then, but then. But then, and here's the important thing: ask how you can be of service to them. You know, it's it, it, don't think of it as quid pro quo, but that's how friendships are made: is by being being of service really to each other in big and little ways. So, even if even if you have to do that, and I know it's going to be uncomfortable, but just if you have to do it, do it. But then be willing to reciprocate.
0: Do you use a CRM? Do you have a list of 50 people? Do you have a, a, a schedule doing things? I mean, you're a systems guy. So how do you how do you systematize some of this so it's not just completely random occurrence of when you think of someone
1: you take out? I do use a CRM. Uh, I probably don't use it as well as I should. I, I haven't made a study of how best to do that. Uh, when I first started out, I, I literally had a spreadsheet. I just kept a list of, I think it was about 150 people. And the next time I was going to be reaching out to them, so I would do it. And it would be a simple email or uh, sometimes it was a phone call. Uh, I I created, back when when, uh, um, COVID started, I actually created a system. I called it my Connect 5. And each day of the week had a category that I would reach out to. um, And it was just, I would reach out to one person from that category. So uh, Monday, since it's the beginning of the work week, I'd reach out to someone having to do with my business. It might be a client, a prospect, somebody just to check in with them, see how they were doing. Tuesday, it was, uh, oh, who'd I do with Tuesdays? Uh, oh, it was, it was like my association. So I'd reach out to people from NSA. Wednesdays, it might be my heroes. You know, someone I'd read a book that I really was impressed by, someone that, uh, um, that I saw speaking that I, I wanted to be in contact with. Thursday was throwback. It was who you know people that I had forgotten about. and Friday was close friends and family. Because ironically, I think we sometimes don't appreciate how valuable our network, our, our closest network, our inner circle is when it comes to achieving the goals in our life because quite often we don't tell those people what we're trying to achieve. You know they don't know exactly what we do. They don't know what we're looking for. and maybe if we let them know, that might be, you might get some results that you didn't expect.
0: Have you been able to keep that up even now that we've started to all go back to, to more events and more activity?
1: More or less. Yeah, I do. I like, you know, sometimes I'm off on a week-long training program and, and, you know, the best I can hope for is that the number of unread messages is less than 200, but, (laughs) but uh, in general, uh, when it's a, it's a regular day. Yeah. I mean, because all I'm, all I'm asking of myself is one contact. If yeah. I can't make one contact, then I'm, I'm not trying very hard.
0: I really like this. And I like that you have all these different categories because I think the other thing we might tend to do is over index on one of those categories, whichever one that feels, I don't know, most comfortable or um, yeah.
1: Or, or the, we think we only focus on the, the, our, our target market or our potential you know, prospects and networking is so much bigger than that. Um, I, there's a whole world that and, and the categories I chose were, you know, basically what worked for me. And I tell people all the time, you know, you can pick your own categories, but just make sure you're spreading your attention across a, a larger swath of your network.
0: What's another thing you think, uh, that, an activity or a practice that you have that you think others could adopt as well?
1: Um, you know, I, I, I like, I like actually calling people on the phone. Um, and and. Yeah, sometimes you got to leave a message. But here's here's the thing: when you call and leave a message, first of all, be friendly. <laughs> but second of all, maybe they don't remember you. Leave your contact information. Leave it at the beginning and at the end, just so that they can get back to you when they want to. Don't make it difficult for them. Uh, in, in, fact, in fact, I think in general, don't make networking difficult for the other person. You know, if you want if you want someone to refer you. Give them, send them the the uh, the email blurb that you'd like them to send on. Don't make them try and come up with it by the by themselves. Whatever you should do. I mean, don't expect someone else to reach out to you. Don't expect that someone else to know what you need. Make it as easy as possible for them to help you.
0: Yeah, I think that's true for any kind of favors or anything, you know, you're asking people to do a little more than the usual. I, I practice that with my pod, with my podcast launch, with my book launches, just like. You know, being really clear about what you need support on, and then making it as simple as possible for others to take that action. Um, and my mother's advice, which I bring up all the time on this show, when I was a kid, I didn't get invited to something after months of talking about it. Um, someone moved away. Sh- short story is, I I remember they forgot, and I felt really bummed out. My mother said, "There, you know, you're only the main character in your own play," which I didn't want to hear <laughs> as a kid. But it's true, it takes some effort to get on other people's uh, sort of radar and stay there. But then once you're there, it's really easy to rekindle those connections. Um, so I, yeah, I, I love what you're talking about. I, I love all like how you show up in the world. I love that you've created a space that people who feel reluctance to network can find you. Um, what what led to this podcast idea that you have with your mom?
1: You know, uh, there, there was... <sighs> I'm a member of the National Speakers Association. Um, and well, you are too, I know. And, and so there, there's never a dearth of good ideas coming out. And I, I wanted to do something with my mom. And so we thought, well, let's try this podcast thing. And this was before, actually, it was just before uh, uh, COVID hit. So th- that was not a result of it. It was just, you know, we, we happened to be doing it. And so we, we thought, okay, this is a good way for us to get our content out there to be able to connect with the people who've been following us for so long and, and, and stay connected with them. The, the sound of the human voice is really powerful. You know, to, for people to hear you, they connect with you in an in a almost natural way. Um, I actually, I've got this program called the 52 Connection Tips. So if people sign up, they get a, a audio, uh, like a minute and a half, two minute long audio idea on good networking every week. I ran into someone who'd been, who had signed up for this, and she had been listening to my voice for like six or eight months, and we finally got to meet in person. And she came up, and she was about to give me a hug. And she said, she, she stopped, and she said, I suddenly realized I don't actually know you as well as I think I do, <laughs> because we had never met in person. We'd, I think we'd only talked once on the phone, um, but the, the idea of a human voice is so connective. Um, it's far more so than email. Email has its own benefits, but but being able to put your voice out there is really powerful. And so, being able to do this with my mom and to kind of tap into her wisdom, because she's been doing this much longer than I have. So I, I tend to actually act as the interviewer and get to listen to how she sees networking and how she's approached it over the years. Um, it's just been it's been a really it's been a treasure to be able to do that with her. I mean, she's one of my heroes. To be able to do that with her is just, it's very special. Um, and we started bringing in uh, interview guests as well, as, as you got to experience. Uh, so, um, but still, it's, it's the mom and me's that I enjoy so much doing. And we get a lot of uh, positive feedback about that. People, you know, especially in the area, because she talks about the people she's connected with around her, uh, being able to you know, tag them and let them know, hey, we're talking about you. Um, it's kind of exciting, uh, and, and we're, we're rapidly approaching our hundredth episode. So that's kind of exciting.
0: That's amazing. It's so sweet that you guys have this opportunity to, to collaborate together, um, and, and share those conversations with all of us, that it's not just a private conversation that you two are having at a family outing, but that you're recording them with the purpose of sharing them and inviting guests to come in. Um, thank you for having me on your show. We should put that link in the show notes as well. So, um, this is, this is just really fun. And I, and I love all the things you do in the world. I'm actually really curious when we reconnect because we're going to stay connected, but let's say a year from now, I'm like, oh my God, Greg, this has been a year. It's been a year since I interviewed you. What are we going to be celebrating then? What are we going to be toasting a year from now?
1: Oh gosh. Uh, well, we'll, we'll. I'll be toasting if we can get two, uh, two more sessions of our class. We run these uh, twice a year, getting, getting those filled up with people. Uh, that would be awesome. I'm, I'm working on a an online course on sort of more of the fundamentals of networking. I, if I can get that launched within the next year, that would be awesome. I would be really excited about that. Um, I know that my boss slash my wife, who's the CEO of our company, <laughs> she'd really like it if I got that uh, second book out there as well. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, there's, there's all those projects. There's so many great things that you can work on. It's, it's sometimes a little hard to, to focus down and say, okay, this is the one we're going to focus on right now. And I think the, the big thing was let's, let's get some more of these classes. Let's train some more people. Let's help people be more successful. I don't want anyone to go through. I, I don't know if you, maybe you are more of an outgoing person, but for me, those first networking encounters were just horrifically painful because um, I, I didn't know what to do, I, I felt like I was like a uh, you know the kid going into his first junior high school dance and standing in the corner and watching all the all the beautiful people having fun. Um, I don't want anybody have to go through that. That's that's painful and and it can really put you off from ever doing it again. Uh, there's no reason for that. There are there are, if I can learn how to do this stuff, anybody can. <laughs>
0: Well, I love the sound of all the things you're going to do it's clear that you're ready to make an even bigger impact in the world. And I can't wait to celebrate all of that with you. So how can people find you and follow
1: your work? Uh, well, if you'd like to reach out to me, uh, I'm at peters at thereluctantnetworker.com. And that's the same as my website, thereluctantnetworker.com. You can also go to third generation networking, and you will find our information about our classes. Uh, and, uh, that's, that's usually the best way to stay in touch with us.
0: We will have all those links in the show notes at on Greg, thank you so much for an amazing conversation.
1: Robbie, this has been a blast. I am so glad I got to come in and talk, chat with you today.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Greg. What is your key takeaway? Something I'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 269. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week.